if you can't sell the problem to the audience, to, to the reader, uh, you're not going to be able to sell him the solution. He has to care about the problem first before he cares about your the, the solution you're trying to sort of pitch. Welcome back to the Explorer Podcast. My name is Sejan. Thanks to each and every single one of you who come back every time to learn, to execute, and to exploit for a better purpose. And thank you so much for taking your time out of your day for becoming a better version of yourself that you admire the most. And I am so grateful today to sit down with an AWS Serverless hero and about to share his experience with the cloud over a decade now, and about to uncover his insightful thoughts towards building and growing a community in the cloud. Right when I say in the cloud, it's about the the cloud, right? And making it more impactful is one of the most important things. And please help me to welcome an independent consultant, serverless hero, a developer advocate. As you already know, he is none other than Yan Sui. Before we move ahead, a huge shout out to Sundog Education for sponsoring this episode. Join over half a million learners across the world. You can learn machine learning, AI, and big data just for twenty-five dollars a month. All you need is some prior programming or scripting experience with a high school level math. With a lot of hands-on activities and exercises, you can practice whatever you have learned. Visit sundog-education.com and sign up for a free trial course to start your journey towards a lucrative and rewarding career in the hardest technology. That's sundog-education. dot com. Now onto the ad-free show. Yan is an experienced engineer who has run production workload at scale in AWS for over ten years. He has been an architect and principal engineer with a variety of industries ranging from banking, e-commerce, sports streaming to mobile gaming. He has worked extensively with AWS Lambda in production in the last four years, and nowadays he splits his time between advancing the states of serverless observability as a developer advocate at Lumigo.io and helping companies around the world adapt serverless as an independent consultant. Yan is also a AWS Serverless Hero and a regular speaker at user groups and conferences internationally. He's also the author of Production Ready Serverless and co-author of Serverless Architectures on AWS Second Edition, both by Manning Publications. And he creates and maintains the active blog at theburningmonk.com and he hosts a weekly podcast at realworldserverless.com. And I can't wait anymore to start exploring with Yan Shui. Thank you so much for joining us, Yan. I'm so glad that you are here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I mean, it's 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 really a pleasure to have you here, like AWS Serverless hero, and it's <laughs> like a decade of experience into AWS and working with cloud and everything, right? But um, initially, a very open question for you: like over the last decade, even there exist many other cloud service providers, right? But you choose to stick with Amazon. Of course, there are a lot of ton of people who are also doing it the same thing, right? But uh, why is it so specific, like AWS and Amazon instead of others? Um, so I guess uh, if you go back to two thousand and nine or two thousand and ten when I first started, uh, so I was just uh, leaving a uh, investment bank in the Canary Wharf. So I was working for uh, Credit Suisse at the time, uh, and then I left there around the end of two thousand and nine and two thousand and ten, and went into a company making Facebook games. So at the time we were you not know, going to AWS, uh, you know, straight away. Everything was already built on AWS, uh, and then about a year later, we also did some work with uh, Google Cloud using um, uh, Google <coughs> using Google App Engine. Um, so App Engine was pretty good. It was really good, and uh, also a bit of uh, ahead of its time as well. And uh, we also started using Google BigQuery as well. So it wasn't you know everything on AWS. Uh, it actually took AWS quite a few years to release something similar to 
BigQuery. So nowadays you have uh, Amazon Athena, yeah. which was announced in the 2016. Um, so uh, for us, I guess the most of our workload has uh, remained on AWS and I have uh, spent most of my time with AWS uh, ever since, uh, partly because they have the most uh, complete ecosystem of different services they offer. And, and also because uh, over time you build up relationships with their business development side of things, with their uh, account managers, with all these different, I guess, uh, also your knowledge as well, which uh, becomes uh, very useful. And uh, as you build new new things, new products, new teams, and uh, also there's just not strong, there's never been for me a strong enough reason to move out of AWS because everything I need to do could be done using AWS already, uh, apart from a few things where AWS didn't have a very good service or a or a comparable service to something like Google BigQuery, uh, which we I kept using Google BigQuery even until recently, uh, depending on the project and uh, depending on what it is that we actually need. But by and large, most of what I need to do could be done on AWS and I can leverage my existing knowledge, uh, but also existing network of people I can reach out whenever I need help. Uh, or when I need to, uh, say, escalate an issue, having previous uh, relationships with uh, people within AWS can help me a lot. So especially when there's something happening um, and I just need to help me help you know, get someone to help me escalate the problem because my, you know, <laughs> I'll be losing customers, <laughs> our service is down or something. So having those relationships that can help me through those problems uh, has always been very useful. And I, get, I think also one of the reasons that um, AWS has done really well compared to its uh, the other cloud provider has been that it's really good with taking feedback from customers. So they've got this whole culture whereby uh, anyone on Twitter, on LinkedIn, or just you know, people you meet in person from AWS, uh, you can complain to them. And then uh, somehow maybe like next year, maybe a few years down the road, uh, <laughs> the problems they're complaining about, uh, yeah. they either... You know, fix and uh, fixed it, or they release a new service or new features that address those problems. So they are really good with taking feedback from customers, uh, much better than the uh, than uh, the Microsoft, and way, 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 way better than Google. Google, <laughs> when it comes to you know, this kind of feedback from the from outside, from external uh, customers, has been traditionally really, really bad. Uh, there's um. You almost get this sense from talking to a lot of uh, Google um, developer advocates that uh, you know that the teams just don't really value those feedback from the internal feedback or external feedback as much as uh, uh, say what they they what they think is the best thing to do. Mm. Um, they 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 build great services, uh, no doubt, but they're oftentimes uh, not well thought through, or at least uh, is is often not what customers actually want. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, that's, that's, I think that's one area that uh, Amazon has been traditionally very good in terms of support. Um, and also, I guess uh, with Google, they, they they have got this bad image and it's probably justified, I, I think in my, in my mind, that um, they, no, they don't really care so much about uh, you as a customer. <laughs> uh, they would just deprecate services that you have built your, your business around if it's not profitable uh, profitable for them. Mm. Whereas Amazon has made a very strong point about uh, backward compatibility, about uh, not breaking services, about not deprecating services that not many people are using. So nowadays, uh, if you're still using some of the oldest services like SimpleDB, which doesn't even show up on a console anymore, <laughs> you can still use it uh, if your account had it before. And uh, if you had um, 
a really old application that was built you know, a couple of years ago and still running on SimpleDB, then you can keep using it. They, they're not, they're not going to just deprecate it. So from from like a business point of view, having that level of trust with your vendor uh, is uh, very important, especially if you're in for the long haul. And it's difficult to do that with uh, someone like Google. Uh, I think Microsoft has done a really good job. And I think um, if I was to move uh, to different cloud for some, for, for some workload, it probably would be to Azure instead of to uh, GCP um, or, or Google Cloud Platform. Um, mm. That's it. Mm. Uh, Microsoft has been uh, very strong in the enterprise uh, sector and uh, uh, I think um, a lot of the sort of .NET shops and a lot of co- uh, companies that are traditional in that uh, bubble are moving to Microsoft already uh, and um, and yeah uh, but for me I've um, you know, I've been with AWS for a long time um, for me it just never got to the point where I need to do something that I can't do with AWS and I have to move to Azure or to Google or to Google so there's never been strong enough reason for me to, uh, to to do that. That's beautifully said about, you know, it also disclosed about what kind of a, a features that they provide. And as you've been, you know, it's over decades that you've been into cloud and all of that. And you've been working with business and helping a lot of a lot of business existing to scale up themselves and everything. Right. But uh, as you mentioned about the Google Cloud, so by any chance, if you get a chance to speak with their team, internal team who could make decisions, what would be your advice and kind of a feedback for them just to have their words on here? Uh, I guess uh, it's not about specific teams. Uh, it, uh, it's, it's a culture thing. I think with Google, it's a culture thing yeah. um, that, uh, that they they are great engineers uh, yeah. and that they want to, you know, they build really good services. Uh, in terms of quality-wise, I mean, they had uh, probably the best uh, compute platform uh, compared to Amazon and compared to uh, Microsoft. Uh, and there have been quite a few companies uh, who just runs uh, virtual machines on Amazon, uh, decided to move to Google Cloud because uh, the equivalent uh, virtual machines are more powerful. So it can get more done with a fewer number of servers and therefore that translates to a, a pretty significant cost savings. And the networking is also significant, significantly better as well. So it's quite interesting that uh, Google, rec- uh, not recently, I guess the last Sometime in the last 12 or 18 months that uh, they released uh, uh, a, a, I guess a new tier for the virtualized for the infrastructure as, uh, as a service layer to provide the worse networking at a lower cost whereas Amazon have been traditionally going the other way they uh, they have uh, released the higher uh, premium tiers of uh, for their infrastructure as a service uh, platform uh, that offers you that gives you better networking um so uh, I mean, for me, it's almost used like Google is the sort of the nerd cloud. There's a lot of really interesting technical stuff. Uh, that's great, but there's just a lot of low hanging fruit that, uh, for things that you need day to day that they just don't seem to care, uh, even though those are the pain points that the customers are having. So I, th- I think that's a that's a cultural thing that need to be addressed from top down. Uh, Amazon, you hear the the AWS people, well Amazon people always talk about the fourteen uh, uh, leadership principles, mm. and uh, they are you know they are really big on that whole culture side of things, uh, and a, a big part of that is uh, listening to customers and taking feedback and building things that address customer pain points, even if uh, it's, ne- it's not necessarily things that, uh, you know, that aligns with your philosophy for how you see your service. Uh, but it's, it's, the, it's, it's a practical thing. It's the thing that your customer is asking for. And I think that is something that is, is not about individual teams at Google. It's, it's, it's a cultural thing. Uh, yeah. I have seen lots of other companies uh, that 
know, that has got that sort of mental of, uh, no, we know better. Uh, we build the most uh, beautiful, the most elegant, the most performance services. Mm. Um, and I think Google oftentimes uh, feels like that, mm. uh, where they, they're striving for technical excellence uh, rather than no customer satisfaction cool oh my god i mean that's that's clearly mentioned i mean very structured i mean in a very specific way but i think it's going to be helping out others as well but let's get back to the early stages of you where uh, you've been a software engineer for a couple of years right and not much related to cloud but later on you made a shift towards aws and cloud related work right but what actually made you to go uh, for, make a shift to cloud and you know be on more about cloud and explore more into it and do more work into it and why why was that shift happen like wh- what's your deep intention behind that um so i so sort of finished my university degree in the 2006 um so in my in, i think in my third year of my uh, of my master's uh, um, degree for computer science i won the prize uh, for some computational complexity module or something like that cool. uh, the prize was uh, sponsored by credit suisse uh, and in that summer i did an internship with them and then i got a job offer to go back full time uh, which i did which at the time was great you know uh, the salary was very good. It was beyond, you know, is this, uh, you know, way above uh, average for a new graduate at the time. Mm. And uh, I you know, had a job waiting for me. Um, but uh, when you're working in the sort in a, you know, in a banking environment, uh, at least in those kind of uh, environment that I was in, uh, you're building applications that are used by maybe 20 people inside the bank. Uh, you're probably using you know, technologies and uh, and tools that are a few years out of date compared to what's the you know, most cutting edge there, at, uh, you know, right there at that point. And it took me a few years to kind of realize that. Um, and uh, you know, at the time, I was I remember sitting in big meetings with maybe 15 people talking about how we're going to get the next server added to our data center and uh, all the different patches we're going to need to install. Uh, and it was a big event. Everyone got really excited when the server came, uh, but it took six months. Mm-hmm. You know, it was like a six-long project to procure that server and to configure it to put it into a data center and all of that. And then there were, as I read more and more uh, about other, no, no, other people are doing uh, blogs and see other things that are actually happening. And then I can see that, okay, I'm doing stuff that are at least a few years behind the curve. Um, so I wanted to get out and uh, you know, be, I want to become better as a software engineer. I want to you know, try to you know, do things that are more interesting, that are more sort of technically challenging. Um even if the money was not as good, I actually took a pretty big pay cut when I you know, left the Credit Suisse to go to the, the, go to the next job. Uh, but there I went you know, into a company that's building Facebook games. Uh, mm. Now we're building games that's, uh, that was, well, at one point was used by over a million active users every day. Uh, and it was all, everything was on AWS. And uh, you, know, you learned about uh, using virtual machines instead of waiting, waiting six months for a new server. Now you're talking about five, six minutes uh, to get a new server up and running. So it's a very different paradigm. And also there's, you know, you're building for a completely different level of scale. You're building for a completely different set of audience. And uh, now you also work, are working in the 24-7. Whereas before, it was all around 9 to 5 for the business hours. So when the market closes, everyone goes home. No one uses your app. <laughs> but now we're building systems that's 24-7. Yeah. Uh, you know, downtime is really important. There's no, <laughs> you know, you can't, you, you know, you can't just go down for a couple of hours at a time. Yeah. Um, so, like technically it becomes all very different you're very challenging and also with the cloud you 
uh, is you know you, you got this new I guess way of thinking. Whereas before, you now we have to be very careful about our servers, how we configure them, how we patch them, and every deployment is be you know is very big event. You have to be really careful. You don't do them very often. Um, and now it's uh, okay. A servers are you no. Know, the, the the saying is that the the, the cattle is not pets. Uh, if one dies, get a new one. It doesn't matter. <laughs> um, and um, and that's a lot more sort of focused on automation. And uh, you, know, you hear about things like infrastructure as code. You hear about all this uh, CI/CD uh, or continuous integration, continuous delivery. All the modern techniques and the practices. Uh, you know, we st- we were doing that. Um, pretty early on um, because it, you know it's required you need to have those automations for you to be able to work efficiently uh, having a small team that are building applications that are used by millions of people mm-hmm. and have to be up uh, 24 7 um, so it's so in terms of there's a lot of the practices that uh, you know, I guess we take for granted today that everyone's doing it back then it was quite early it was quite new it was a lot of them are still uh, you know quite raw there's a lot of problems with the tools and things like that uh, but it's you know part of the fun um it's still part of the challenge as well and uh, you no know, and that i guess the kind of um, that got me f- thinking about software engineering and for software development in a different light a different way of thinking different uh, priorities uh, and now we're deploying things in small incrementals, uh, increments, uh, small deep releases rather than you know, big bang. Uh, we're doing a lot of uh, work so that uh, you know we can monitor things easily, quickly, and we we try very hard to make applications uh, stay up. Uh, whereas before, <laughs> you have the ops team that uh, that looks after all the operation support. So if something breaks, they are the ones that are you know, have to have, have to deal with it. Now we are on call as engineers, which means uh, if something goes wrong at the three o'clock in the morning, which it often does because that's the peak time in the US. Mm. Uh, in the UK, you know, that's us three o'clock in the morning. And I don't want to be waking up at 3 a.m. in the morning. So, uh, you know, you, you work very hard to make sure that what you deploy is, uh, you know, is, is reliable, is stable, and that you, you, know, you, you build in patterns so that uh, you know, your application will just heal itself if something goes wrong. Um, all of those are things that are, you know, that's taken many years for the wider industry to adopt as a standard. But uh, luckily nowadays, most people are doing those things now, which is great. Um and uh, and yeah, and over time, I just uh, you know got more and more services was released on AWS uh, that makes a lot of things that we used to build ourselves now it's just out of the box much easier. And certainly, especially with uh, the release for you know Lambda and then other services that integrate with Lambda nowadays, I can do something that used to take me months in just a couple of days. Uh, because even with all these automation and all these things available on AWS, there's still a lot of infrastructure. There's still a lot of configuration. There's still a lot of things I have to do as mm-hmm. a backend engineer. So I'll probably spend, what I used to spend 80% of my time just dealing with infrastructure and ops and 20% writing business logic. Mm-hmm. And with Lambda, with all these uh, serverless uh, technologies, I can you know, switch that around. I write 90% of the time to spend my, uh, my time on Business logic and uh, maybe ten less, maybe ten percent or less uh, on the actual dealing with uh, infrastructure. So it means that as a, as as engineer, I can get a lot more done, um, and um, that's just, that's good news for everyone. Yeah, uh, product teams are happy because you get more done quickly, mm-hmm. and the customers are happier because they don't have to spend as much on the, my salaries or whatever to uh, <laughs> uh, to get to get a product out. So um, 
so yeah, it's, I think it's been a continued trend and uh, it's getting better and better. Absolutely. I mean, it's been a, it's been a far journey from the beginning and all up to the core. You took me your entire journey, sharing all of the things and what the best parts, where you learned the most and everything, right? But I've been following you, you, you and your work for quite a bit of time. And every time I see your content, uh, it's kind of, you know, you share the things that it's kind of very hard to find on the internet. But here, the thing that I found uh, very interesting is like the burning monk. So what's 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 the deep meaning behind why do you really name it like the burning monk so where the monk in between came in middle <laughs> um so um i don't know if you know this band uh, called the uh, rage against the machine mm-hmm. um so they were my favorite band uh, when i was growing up um, i think when I, i first heard about them uh when the matrix came out i think that was what 98 99 uh, when the matrix came out i was still in the I guess uh, it was in the UK. I think that's a, a year 11, maybe sixth form. Um, and uh, that kind of blew me away, uh, mm-hmm. the Matrix. <laughs> and then the, right at the end, uh, the, uh, the the soundtrack at the end was uh, by Rage Against the Machine. And then uh, I just got really into them and uh, got really into heavy metal and the hard rock and all this <laughs> you know, music, that, that sort of music. Uh, and so, yeah, the, the debut album for Rage Against the Machine had the... Uh, the burning monk uh with who is a well he he uh, he's a monk uh a venomous monk who set himself on fire in protest uh, to i guess the americans uh, um um uh involvement in the in you know, in, in Vietnam at the time um and uh yeah so that was the the cover for Rage Against uh, Rage Against Machines the debut album and that's where the the nickname came from and <laughs> since then I've been used uh, you know, the burning monk for email and all these other things uh, and just kind of stuck yeah yeah i mean it's kind of really you know uh, you know out of the box like there is very rare people find with such a kind of a names and your twitter handle is also same like the burning monk <laughs> so it, yep. it, it's it's kind of fun right it's memorable <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Anywhere. I mean, anywhere you try naming a new instance, again, you'd go with the burning mark again. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So, you know, and also for the people out there here who are actually, you know, students and have a lot of friends who are, who usually says the words, listen to me. I mean, I think this is one of the most frequently asked questions for you, but let me tell you that. So I usually get kind of questions like, uh, dude, I'm not good at coding and I don't want to do it and I'm not really loving with it. but i can i can i go for cloud i can can i go for devops can i go and build and take care of infrastructure and make my career into it so what would be your response like without without loving coding or without you know having an interest but they can work on it but is that is that a preferable way to to go ahead and take it ahead um in terms of uh, aws uh, uh, it's not just about coding and i certainly i think uh, uh, you know coding has becoming less and less Mm. I wonder what, maybe not less important uh but uh, is less challenging uh certainly with a serverless uh, it, it means a lot more to understand how different AWS services work how they interact with each other and so you can you know choose the right service that actually does what you need maybe 90% of of, of what you need and then uh, you need to write you know some code for the, the other 10% and certainly i think uh, with you know in terms of the code i i've been writing uh, what i'm writing nowadays is a lot simpler to a lot of things that i used to write maybe a few years ago so i definitely think with things like serverless uh, you know they're talking about lambda you're talking about api gateway you're talking about uh, uh, appsync and talk about all these different managed services that has solved a lot of the hard problems 
that you typically run into as you try to build a scalable and performant uh, service. So I do think that uh, no, coding skills is still important. You need to be able to reason about code. and uh, But probably more important than that is uh, uh, be able to think uh, system uh, well think system wise so think, think about systems rather than individual components so that you can see how everything fits together i mean personally when i look at a system the first thing i want to understand is uh, just how do the data flows uh, from one end to the other mm-hmm. from a user touching a screen uh, to how does it get into your database uh, trying to understand all of that flow and that flow can sometimes be really interesting and complicated depending on how the system works it's not just always uh, api to apis there's a lot of uh, background processing there's a lot of uh, st- you know, data streaming there's a lot of of uh, uh, the data lakes and batch jobs, all these different things. Mm. So understanding that side of things is just as important. And sometimes you can, you know, uh, there's a lot, there are a lot of um, maybe architects or um, solution architects and whatnot. Those kind of jobs that doesn't require you to you know, be writing code every day. No, you just, just to have a basic understanding of you know, of code to be able to reason about code and look at the code and understand what it's doing but uh, it's just as important to understand from a higher level how does the system actually work how do all the different lego pieces uh, fit together um so in terms of uh, devops uh, that's also writing a lot of code as well you know, there's a lot of typically a lot of uh, uh, you know, writing maybe uh, infrastructures code, mm. uh, CloudFormation or Terraform or whatever. Um, so it, I guess it's a different kind of code you're writing. Uh, you, yeah. you know, you're writing something that's described to infrastructure. Um, but uh, if, I guess that's another thing about uh, DevOps as well. Um, that's kind of what we perceive and when we think about, when we talk about DevOps. Uh, but DevOps was never about specifically about the provisioning infrastructure in the first place. The whole DevOps movement started as a way to, you know, to talk about several principles and practices that we want to employ to make sure to, to, to make uh, you know, someone pushing, com- uh, committing some code to it, running production, you know, shorten that time, and also uh, to improve the, 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 the quality of our system as well. Um, but in modern times, uh, I guess a lot of that, when, we, when people talk about DevOps, they're really talking about uh, uh, infrastructure engineering, um, provisioning infrastructures, all of that. Um, and if you want to work in tech and you don't want to write code at all, there's still other lots of other jobs that doesn't involve any uh, not writing any code at all. So you've got uh, there's a lot of product uh, product side of things, uh, understanding how people use products, understanding uh, actual business problems that uh, companies have, and how your application, how your solution can actually solve those problems. Uh, and there's also project managers. There are uh, the scrum masters, there's uh, uh, business analysts. There's still lots of jobs um, in tech that doesn't involve uh, writing code. Cool. I mean, uh, that's beautifully said. Maybe uh, for the people who are out there who are actually looking for getting into DevOps and not loving to code, this should definitely help them. Definitely. A lot. Uh, and also, like, people who are actually, you know, getting into, uh, you know, working with instances and working on turning on and everything. So I see a lot of people and a lot of stories in my end as well having burning a lot of money unintentionally, right? <laughs> <laughs> so it happens very often. So we, we kind of burn the money existingly and unintentionally out of the way. But what are your tips for them to actually, you know, save and make it optimized and not to burn all of your money by just living out something 
Yeah, so with uh, no certainly with uh, serverless technologies, when we talk about serverless, we're talking about uh, uh, mostly you know services where you don't pay for them when you're not actually using them. Yeah. So if you look at the uh, services like you know, Lambda, like API Gateway, like uh, DynamoDB, you no, know, if you don't use it, it's not going to cost you anything. And uh, when you do use it, you, you know you pay for just uh, the the, you know, the request that you're processing just the, the 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 things that you are computing uh, and only for how no for as long as uh, you, you you actually need them so a lot of companies that are not dealing with uh, really high throughput uh, and they can actually save a lot of money by moving their workloads into serverless uh, components uh, in fact I was working for a company a social network a few years back when we moved the social network to running pretty much entirely on API Gateway and Lambda, we probably saved about 90% of our running cost cool. uh, because we were running a lot of uh, EC2 instances. So those uh, virtual machines, to, even though we don't need them all the time, but because the traffic is quite spiky, so we needed a lot of uh, headroom so that when there is a spike, your social network, so whenever like a big influencer does something, there's a whole bunch of traffic, but then there's nothing happening well, much in between. So for those kind of spiky traffic, uh, we had to run a lot of servers all the mm-hmm. time and only use about what, three, five percent maybe of what we actually spend. Uh, whereas with a serverless, uh, you only pay for what you use, uh, so we were to make a big saving. And I've known a few other companies who has uh, also had similar stories. Uh, I think FINRA from the US, they are the financial regulators, and the, one of the financial regulators in the US. They also save. They they said that they improved the cost efficiency by three times when they moved from EC2 to Lambda as well. And a few other companies I've spoken with in the past, the uh, smaller startups, uh, has also sort of, you know, quoted anything from 30% to 90% saving um, when they move to serverless. So serverless technologies uh, for a lot of small to medium and um, company uh, enterprises uh, can be very cost efficient. But I think the, the biggest cost when you look at the large enterprises uh, is not so much in the infrastructure, uh, but it's in, in the staffing. Because as I mentioned, I can do the same amount of work, I can get the same amount of uh, output for the business as individual in a couple of days now compared to say maybe two, you know, a couple of months, a few years ago. Um, so imagine if you scale that to large enterprises where they need a whole team of engineers to build something for, you know, spend six months to build something that is really, really expensive. Um, but if you can get a few people uh, more productive and they can mm. do them a lot faster, then you're looking at a huge savings on the staffing cost. So for the smaller companies and the large companies uh, where the cost savings is going to come from could be very different. Uh, but all in all, I think uh, uh, service technologies uh, is, can be very cost-efficient options for a lot of work, uh, for a lot of different workloads. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and your journey is more of like a serverless hero now. You've been expertized and everything, doing, uh, making the thing serverless and making it more cost-effective. So how about your journey? Like, can you take me to your journey? Like how you become a serverless hero in AWS? Um, so the AWS serverless hero, or the AWS heroes program, um, it doesn't, I guess one thing should, I should clarify is that uh, it doesn't recognize expertise per se, but it recognizes uh, contribution to the community so i've written i've written probably at this point over 150 different articles on different topics around aws and serverless and i've also done a lot of talks uh, 
at this point, probably like 200 different talks uh, um, mm. on user groups and conferences and whatnot. Um, so I have given I've given a lot to the community, and uh, it's because of that work uh, that AWS has uh, rec- has uh, recognized me as a serverless hero for my contributions for the community. Um, it doesn't necessarily make me an expert, even though I think I'm pretty good at what I do. Um, so in terms of how that happens, uh, it's I guess uh, how the, as far as I can tell, they have uh, an internal. I guess a group of uh, advocates and uh, maybe solution architects or so internal AWS employees uh, that uh, rec- uh, that would uh, um, that would uh, uh, nominate people that they know who, uh, whose work they uh, they know uh, every quarter, and then from that uh, pool of uh, lo- uh, um, of nominees, uh, they will pick out a few and then uh, add them to the and, and then recognize them as uh, heroes it could be community heroes so if you do i guess if you arrange uh, user groups and conferences and things like that or it could be i guess more specialized heroes like me a service hero because i focus on the service area yeah. uh, others maybe you know container heroes they may be big data heroes or database heroes or whatnot um so uh, i guess a part of that is uh, you know you do you do what you do. You give, you know, you do work that gives to the community, and then part of that is gonna be just luck that somebody uh, notices your work and uh, you know start, and somebody at within AWS uh, uh, nominates you the next quarter. A lot of that is luck, but then you know, the more you do, then the the more likely you will be recognized. Uh, personally, I would say that um, the recognition has been. Useful from a uh, no, in terms of, and I say as an independent consultant, it gives me some extra credit uh, credibility when the customers are talking to me. Um, but it doesn't again; it's not about expertise. So, um, so you no, know, you still have to you have to do you no, know, you still have to do 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 your work to uh, to, you know, to to make yourself good at what you do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you're doing it a lot of times and that's actually kind of a huge contribution that you have given to the community as well. So, and also you make a lot of courses, kind of like a masterclass, AppSync and everything. So as you've been into into teaching and writing books and everything, right? So uh, every time when, when we try teaching someone about something, we unintentionally create a pattern in our brain so that we could express in such a way so that others could understand very easily and they can actually get connected with us with our intentions with our thoughts and the way we explain right so what is your thought process behind delivering content to others not only about aws content or anything about serverless but in general so how do you think and how do you actually let others understand what you are actually trying to explain yeah, so I think uh, um, I, I guess I apply the same um, I guess the process or methodology um, to uh, writing an article as well as to uh, putting a talk together or mm. you know, putting a course together. Uh, yeah. Is I like to you know, basically try to tell a story as much as possible, uh, and uh, the always start with uh, the problem. Um, Typically, I guess for my article, I'll probably spend maybe a quarter or maybe a fifth of the article just talking about the problem. Um, the you know, the idea is that uh, if you can't sell the problem to the audio, to, to the reader, uh, you're not going to be able to sell him the solution. He has to care about the problem first before he cares about your the, the solution you're trying to sort of pitch. Um, and um, so I spend a lot of effort on making sure that the, the problem is... Uh, 
I, I that I'm explaining the problem in a way that you can understand and also you can sympathize. You, if you can sympathize with me and understand why this problem is a problem worth solving for me, then that you have a much uh, then then I as a writer have a much better chance of convincing you that the solution is also one that's worth uh, reading about and uh, and learning about. Um, so that's probably the, one of the most important thing, uh, and also the, 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 in terms of you know, putting constructing something together. And the other thing I, I try to do as much as I can is uh, try to write something mm. um, that is using, I guess, simple words as much as possible. Uh, there's there's a there's a really good site called. Uh, uh, let me see. I forgot what it's called now. Let me uh, look it up. Hemingway. There's there's a very really good uh, tool called uh, Hemingway, which uh, you can you can you can you can put your text there, and then it tells you the readability in terms of uh, which grade of English. Uh, you know, uh, the lower the grade, you know, you want to aim around uh, grade six or seven, uh, so that uh, is so that it's not. So that the English itself is easy to understand. You try to avoid complicated words. You try to avoid really long sentences that make it difficult for someone to actually understand. So as much as possible, I try to follow a lot of that a lot of that's common principle uh, to make the sentence structures, all of that easy to follow and avoid long sentences and if, you know, break them up and all of that. A lot of common, I guess, basic things that's... Um, that when you think about it, it makes sense. You know, you're making something that's easy, that's more easily digestible uh, in the small chunks. Um, yeah, I think those are the, I guess the, the 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 sort of thought process and the the methodology that I normally goes through. And I uh, for for conference talks, I also try to, if possible, give a give a strong message at the start. Again, you know, someone uh, you you. Whether or not uh, someone makes a decision whether or not to keep listening to you and pay attention to you, maybe within the first few minutes. And if you start talking about uh, uh, yourself, you're in the introducing yourself and all of that, then it's probably a good way to lose someone's attention within that first couple of minutes. So as much as I can, not always possible, uh, I try to find a strong message that I can deliver within the first couple of minutes uh, or for articles, the first couple of sentences, deliver a strong message Another thing you learn is that uh, uh, when you this the same applies to movie uh, the same applies to movies and other things as well that uh, uh, you remember the ending you probably you can you, you might forget the whole film but you remember the ending so um, so you know try to have a strong start and a strong finish have a uh, have a something memorable at the end so that's always uh, also always a very useful technique as well. Cool. I mean, uh, it it's literally makes me feel like kind of, uh, you know, recollect when we actually find a very great kind of a talks or sessions, they make it more powerful by kickstarting in a very high energy and ending with the same energy, right? So yep. and in the same way, like kickstarting with the kind of a very interesting topics ending up and the ending with the same kind of a interesting things that makes you remind. And maybe this is your hack that you usually <laughs> use, you know, conferences or any, <laughs> anywhere out there. So it got revealed now so people can use it everywhere. <laughs> so 
definitely now it's over it's over like six years plus maybe you're into corporate and over the decade i mean yeah i mean six hours plus in two you started your own kind of a thing where the burning monk right it's where you try you you make consulting with people there let others i mean you are helping the businesses to grow and scale with uh, with their technicalities right but you know now you're into two different domains you're into industry like uh, into corporate now you are into self employed as well right you are into self employment and making your own money on your own end and you're working for co- corporate and making some revenue generated right but when you compare the both of things so what fits you the best like what's your what's your choice do you want to go for the corporate or you want to build your own thing and make it forward um so i've been uh, in my well 15 years of uh, working as uh, in in the in, in the industry uh, most of that has been uh, you know working for a company um and uh, i've been only i've been only doing full time sort of independent consulting work uh, for the last uh, year maybe well actually more than a year now i guess about 15 months uh and before that i was uh, doing it part time for about a year um i have to say the last 12 15 months has been great um i've been working full time for many many years uh, uh i've um, always very, worked very hard i've always uh, worked very long hours and i've uh, never worked less than uh, you know 50 hours uh, per week uh sometimes i've worked 80 hours a week uh, for for a period of time as well uh, which you do learn a lot I have to say you know i can't it uh, it comes with uh, some sacrifices of course uh, you know i've never really had much of a social life uh, uh, and uh, uh, you know i've um, i probably missed out on a lot of other things that people probably enjoy like hang out in the pub and you know, seeing friends and things like that um but the the, the learning from working so the learning you get from sometimes working and really tough project working very long for maybe six months uh, can sometimes uh, equate you know equate to learnings that uh, you would otherwise take years to accumulate and that's one of the things i've really enjoyed working as an independent consultant in the last 12 months is that uh, you see a lot of different projects you see a lot of different clients who have got different constraints different contexts different industries and uh, all of that means the different learning and uh, one of the biggest thing that i guess uh, in terms of the um so value it brings me is uh, it gives me a wider perspective uh, than someone who's only ever worked in the enterprise environment or someone who's ever worked in a startup environment where the approach you would take is probably very very different because you know you have to factor into account the politics uh, how fast the things can actually be allowed to move uh, the scale you're, you know you're dealing with and lots of other things like that which um haven't worked in different in uh, these different industries and different contexts uh, has i guess provided me with some of that uh, has prepared me for some of these uh, um different contexts i'm seeing now with my clients another thing is that uh, as i guess if you're in the US and you're working for uh one of the, the well you're working for a fan company then the, you know in terms of money you know you'll be well sorted uh, uh you know i think everyone who has worked at a fan for a few years would be a multi millionaire uh, because the, the salary there is you know pretty ridiculous um the cost of living is also quite high as well in the US um but in the europe in everywhere else uh, and or even other parts of the US as well uh, the salary just not as high um in the U- in the in the europe and uk at least you know you got really good the uh, social safety net so your spending is also probably not as high 
but that's it. Um, you have there's, there's a very hard ceiling in terms of how much money you can make. Even as one of the top people in in the, in the industry, uh, if you're working for a company, then the, you know your your earning potential is pretty limited. But as an independent consultant, uh, I have a lot more flexibility in terms of how I charge, how much I charge for my services. Uh, and it also allows me to work less, but still make maybe the same amount of money with less hours or maybe even more money um, for you know, doing less work. And which has been what I've found so far that uh, I've significantly raised my earnings uh, potential, <laughs> even though as a limited company, uh, those money belong to my company technically, uh, they don't belong to me. <laughs> um, but um but yeah, so I think uh, so. As I you know, working for myself, uh, I don't think I can. I can. I don't think I will go back to working full time for somebody else uh, uh, at this point uh, because I think the last twelve months has uh, been uh, really, really enjoyable uh, from multiple from multiple fronts in terms of having more control over how much I work and uh, what I work on, what projects I take on, to having a, a much higher earning potential and. Uh, also, just being able to work a little bit less as well. Um, it's you no know, getting older, uh, and uh, you kind of appreciate some of the downtime you have, so that uh, you can do other things, uh, try out different things, and uh, not always uh, on the not always not, not always not always on the hook to deliver the next uh, project, the next feature. And I think that has been the, that that's been yeah, great. Yeah, totally. Uh, and in the same way, like in the whole journey of building the Burning Monk as an individual entity, or it's our it's all whole your intention on behind it, right? So, what was your actual challenges while building it forward? Like maybe it's about um, closing a deal, or maybe it's about build, uh, making others understand. So, what are your challenges in that? Um, so I think for me, uh, the probably biggest challenge early on is um, just understanding how to set up a business, how to run a business. Um, uh, <laughs> never done it before. So how to set up a company, how to do yeah, all of that yeah. uh, accounting, taxes and all of that is uh, was uh, was challenging and uh, understanding all the different uh, I guess the, the market, uh, that took a little bit of time, understanding how to uh, price myself, uh, to get, you know, uh, to get the good return for my efforts. Yeah. And uh, uh, all of that took a time and uh, you know, I'm getting better at that, uh, but still a long way to go in terms of uh, where I probably want to be um, from that regard. Uh, what has worked really well for me, uh, and this is something that a lot of other people struggle with early on, is uh, getting you know, customers through the door. Uh, luckily for me, I've had uh, a lot of, um, I guess, the uh, audience, uh, if, you know, having been writing uh, blogging for many years, uh, lots of people read about my contents, they know about me from my talks, my articles, and so on. So that has made a lot of the, um, the, the work to generate leads a lot easier. Yeah, yeah. Now we're talking some, uh, you know, marketing kind of a terms like leads and filtering, and you know, <laughs> all of that. Now you're transforming into a business person again. So <laughs> <laughs> definitely. So how did you figure that out? So maybe you tried reaching out some consulting service just like you, a business consultant, and moved forward, and then you fixed it up. So how did you figure out those things like starting a business and how you um, made it easy? I. I guess for the marketing side of things, uh, I've just been learning as I go um, and uh, uh, I tried a lot of different things. Uh, mm. So for the marketing marketing side of things, uh, uh, I've just been sort of learning as, a, uh, 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 learning as I go. 
uh, try lots of different things uh, and then uh, see what works, uh, what doesn't. Uh, and uh, in, uh, I guess that, you know, I guess that for me, the biggest marketing tool has always been my blog, my yeah. uh, the, book. the talks I'm doing and the lots of things I'm doing in the community. Yeah. So you know, the more I give, uh, also it turns out the more I get back, the more I give yeah. out you know, information for free, the more people are coming to me to ask for help. Uh, well, you know, as, 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 a, as a potential lead for into a client. Um, so I think that has kind of been a really good uh, feedback uh, loop. Uh, partly because uh, it's just just what I like to do. I like to write. I like to share, and I find that that's the best way for me to learn most of the time. That uh, if I can explain something clearly to someone else, then the, uh, they helps me understand uh, or verify that I understand the topic properly. So I like to do that, and uh, you know, that turns out it's uh, it's got a nice uh, side effect of uh, helping me generate a lot of leads. Uh, other than that, the other business side of things, uh, I've you know, asked friends. I've, um, I guess, I follow a few people in the you know, people like uh, Jonathan Stark and uh, Philip Morgan, a few other people like that, who's uh, uh, who's mostly focused on uh, helping consultants uh, make more money and uh, you know, to run a better business and uh, how to market themselves, how to generate leads and things like that. Some of that has been really useful. Uh, there's also a book by uh, Alan Weiss uh, called uh, A Million Dollar Consultant. There's a lot of information, really good information about uh, uh, you know, how to position yourself or the importance of positioning yourself uh, and also you know, how you do contracts and things like that. Uh, some tips around those. So I've been just learning from different bits here and there. There's not been the, a single place I go to that uh, learn everything. Uh, but I've just been trying to find different things that works for me and, and for my particular niche. Uh, but yeah, so it's, um, yeah, it's, it's, I have to say, so for me, I haven't been doing this for very long compared to a lot of people. Um, so I can't say I, I'm, I'm an expert at consulting work uh, or marketing. Uh, I've just been trying to you know, try a lot of different things uh, and trying to see what works. Uh, but, um, but yeah, so as much as possible, uh, I try to, um, no, I, I try to you know put out content regularly so that uh, uh, people are always reading about stuff that I'm sharing, and then uh, that's uh, and if they need more uh, more help, uh, sometimes they come to ask me to to help them uh, professionally as a consultant. Super. I mean, yeah, it's not. It's more over like you keep doing it, and you more uh, keep on working on it further. And end of the day, you'll be like a gained uh, taking a lot of consulting business works, and then you make it forward. So just like that. And yeah, so is it all the questions that I've been uh, wanted to ask you and let others listen, listeners to get the your perspective and all of that. So uh, before we uh, go forward and you know hop the call off, uh, do you have any suggestions for someone out there who is actually getting into AWS or cloud anything? Do you want to share something uh, to that? I guess the if you're brand new to AWS and you want to just uh, I guess get a foothold because uh, right now AWS is so big compared to know what it is uh, what it was uh, when i started uh, i find the you know, if you just if you take one of those uh, certification courses uh, like uh, for developer uh, for developer associates uh, or aws uh, solution architect associates um, those courses themselves are a great way to learn a lot of the basics the cover the the common the basic concepts and a lot of the sort of common services that you would likely use that's probably the the easiest way to get an overview of what are different services, what are some of the key concepts. But then 
after that, you want to really just be building something. There's nothing, there's no better way to learn than to do it. Uh, you, know, you can read, you can read all you want, but then the, there's just going to be a lot of things you will only ever really appreciate and, and, and know if uh, you actually try yourself. And also one of the things that I try to do is that I try to tell you stories and share things that you people run into uh, in, in, in practice in the real world uh, because there's a lot of things that are not going to be covered by the documentations. There's going to be a lot of problems that uh, uh, no, that won't that you won't read about in the in the, uh, in, the in the documentations or on a course, but you run into them when you're actually doing things. So I, so a lot of what I write is uh, try to provide uh, that real world lens on what it's really like to work with uh, different services and the real problems that you would likely run into. Uh, a lot of them force in the gaps uh, between the what's in the documentations and the, what you actually see in the real world. Absolutely. And how far the same, let, let's also give a word out for the consultants out there who's actually trying out to build a business with the skills, what they have. So do you have any specific advice for them to grow every single day just like that? Uh, as a guess for consultants, um, I'm probably not qualified to really give advice to consultants, uh, but for someone who's a... Uh, yeah, yeah. I guess uh, from from my experience, uh, um, uh, I guess uh, you know, being a consultant has been a really, uh, really enjoyable journey for me so far. It's certainly been one that's uh, that's uh, that has changed my perspective and you know my lifestyle and everything. So uh, it's definitely something that I think more people should explore as a, as a, as a career as a career opportunity, especially as you enter. Uh, what the charity major describes as the second half of your career as engineer. Uh, most of us at some point, if you want to stay as uh, you know, engineers, uh, you hit some sort of ceiling, either in terms of a title, in terms of responsibilities, or in terms of you know, salary. And I think for that second, for people who are looking for answers for what do I do now, uh, as you enter into the second half of your career, uh, being a consultant is probably a, a very good option for many of you, especially if you have existing network of friends and people that you work with in the past uh, who you know, values your exp- your expertise and values your uh, your uh, so um, you. Then the, that's uh, that, that that can be a very lucrative. Um, business for many of you absolutely i mean that's a huge takeaway for everyone out there brad the thing i mean what you what you mentioned is actually very true up to a part of our life the next part we'll be also looking for being independent and we're also looking for our own services to be you know helping a lot of others as well not just for generating a revenue but also being ourselves so much fulfilled that our our own things that we've been learning for years is also making an impact on others yeah there's also a lot of people who uh, don't want to do that there's a lot of people who uh, want to build their own stuff. Uh, want to build a you know build products. Uh, that's also a very good way to to go as well. Uh, but for me, hmm. I don't want to really do that because uh, building a business uh, like a product business is hard work. It's uh, it's 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 a lot of commitment. Uh, there's a very high chance of failure, and um, um, I. <laughs> I don't know. I I don't. I just don't think it's something that I want to do at this point in, in my life. But a lot of people want that. Uh, it's a lot of a lot of excitement. Uh, a lot of risk. Um, don't always pan out. But um, but yeah, maybe that's uh, maybe that's for you. Or maybe you want to go into management. You want to go into become a CTO, uh, VP of engineering, or whatever you want to manage other people. Um, you know, that's also great as well. But there's a lot of us who just want to you know stay kind of be hands on, be technical, uh, and uh, 
don't want to do any of any of the other stuff uh, uh, because it's just not cut out for us then being a consultant <laughs> actually quite a really good way to go uh, for for people like like me who are you know, techies we want to write code we want to solve problems uh, <laughs> um, we don't and we're not really cut out for building a you know a product business or uh, managing other people's careers <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but keep looking on it. Maybe someday you'll be having come up, you'll come up with a product, <laughs> having a lot of services. Maybe in some of the the burning monk, the burning <laughs> maybe, monk services. <laughs> Something out there. We go ahead. Yeah, definitely. So yeah, thank you so much, Yana. I mean, it's a, it's been an amazing conversation for everyone out there who's actually been a consultant or been educators or been learners or been someone who's actually getting into AWS or been someone who's actually trying to make things serverless, right? So this the whole pack from you like it's going to be a huge impact for all of them out there so i think it's going to have a little bit of help at least from the whole conversation so it makes a lot of impacts for all conversation out there so thank you so much for being here and thanks for being here it's been it's been so immense pleasure for me having you on the show thanks for having me and i hope you guys uh, enjoyed uh, enjoyed our conversation absolutely <laughs> yeah you are the one looking forward to adapting machine learning into your career take a look at our sponsors synagogue education and start free trial with a lot of hands on activities and exercises you can practice whatever you have learned visit synagogue-education.com and you can find all the direct links in the episode notes below thank you